Let's pray. O blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, empower me now to proclaim your word. And Lord, I pray that you would open our minds to greater understand and have insight on this truth of who you are. Reveal it to our hearts, Lord, and help us to embrace the wonder and the mystery of the triune God. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, friends, today is Trinity Sunday, as I said. It's the day that we proclaim uh, the truth that we believe in the one God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in the church submitting to the church calendar uh, because what teacher would willingly sign up to teach something that is impossible to explain? Who would do such a thing? <laughs> but in, our, in the church's wisdom, this day is set aside to talk about this subject. B.B. Uh, Warfield says, there are no analogies to the Trinity in nature. The triune God is unique. And as there is nothing in the universe like him in this respect, so there is nothing which can help us to comprehend him. Are you ready to be confused? <laughs> I mean, even some of the illustrations that we give to help us understand the Trinity, they are filled with all kinds of problems and potential heresies. And so we have to ask, why do, why do Christians insist on a doctrine that's so hard to comprehend? I mean, why should we care about the Trinity? Why does the church tell us to set aside a Sunday every year to discuss this truth? And does it make any difference to our lives? Well, friends, I hope to contend to you this morning that we should care about the triune God because that is the only God we have. This matters because this is how God has chosen to reveal himself. It matters because this is the God that Jesus revealed. It matters because this is what makes us uniquely Christian. We're the, we're the only monotheistic faith that believes in a triune God. You know, Judaism and Islam, they do not accept Jesus as God or the Holy Spirit of, as God for that matter. And this, it's this understanding of God that is absolutely mind boggling, but it's what actually makes all the difference. It's what makes us unique. So today I have the impossible task of helping us to uh, understand the Trinity today. And I'm also continuing our sermon series. We're going through the book of Acts as a church. And really, this is actually the perfect time, I think, uh, to talk about the Trinity. Uh, because Jesus has come onto the stage of the world uh, in the Gospels, that when Luke wrote his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, he changed everything. And he insisted that God was his Father and that he and the Father were one. And now we get to the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And so at this point in the story that Luke is writing, we have, we have encountered the three, the Father of Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet the apostles in Jesus always proclaimed and taught one God. So Acts 2 concluded the, the, with the story of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church. And so we know now that the disciples, they are empowered from on high. So we should be expecting something unusual to happen, maybe miracles or power to come forth. And that's exactly what happens? Acts chapter 3 opens up with a miracle story. Peter and John go up to the temple to pray, and they encounter a man who was lame from birth. He asked them for money, but instead, Peter says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and was walking and praising God. 
Do you notice how deeply Trinitarian this passage is? The Holy Spirit has been poured out, so we know the disciples are operating in the power of the Spirit. And then Peter says, in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. It's the power of Jesus that has the power for healing. And then it says, the man who's healed in Jesus' name, it says he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Isn't that interesting? He goes into the temple, the temple that was commanded to be built in the Old Testament, praising God in the same temple where the sacrifices were being performed. This is the same God that he's worshiping that we now see in the power of Jesus in the Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit's power that did this. It's in the name of Jesus, and it's the Father being praised in the temple. So when Pentecost happened uh, last week in chapter 2, Peter spoke up and gave a sermon about this is what's going on. He interpreted the experience for the people. And the same thing happens in this story. Um, and if you haven't turned there already, friends, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3 with me. Because uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of these verses together. We're going to do a little bit of Bible study. You ready for some Bible study on the lawn with me today? I hope you are. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 20, uh, 26. It says in verse 11, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Sol Solomon's Colonnade. This is in the temple complex. And right here, Peter launches into another sermon. And, uh, you know, I said this would be a difficult topic, uh, but actually, uh, the Trinity makes for a nice three-point sermon. So, <laughs> at least that part was easy for me uh, to come up with. And Peter helps us understand some things about God. So here, I'll give you point number one. God the Father is fulfilling his promises. God the Father is fulfilling his promises. In verses 12 through 13, Peter says, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. First of all, I just want to point out, this has nothing to do with the Trinity, but I love how Peter just deflects here. This isn't, this isn't about me. This isn't by our own power or godliness. Oh, we, don't, we need more pastors and leaders who will say that. This isn't about me. This isn't about us. This isn't about the name of faith covenant. This is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. And it's all by his power and his grace. And Peter says that this happened because of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three great patriarchs of the Old Testament. Now, Abraham was the first person that God called uh, and promises to bless him and give him descendants and land. And that through him, the blessing of God would come to all, the whole world. And this promise was given to his son Isaac and then passed on to his son, ja his son Jacob, who was renamed Israel. So hang on with me here. And he became the father of the 12 tribes. So this is why Peter calls, calls him, uh, him the God of our fathers. Because he's talking to the Jewish people. He's in Jerusalem still, right? He's talking to the Israelites. And then verse 15, look with me. It says, is, this is the same God, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. And verse 18, this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that the Messiah would suffer. Now, Peter says God foretold this through all the prophets of the Old Testament. He's pointing to the whole Old Testament uh, prophetic work. And in verse 22, he quotes a prophecy of Moses. And in verse 24, he mentions the great prophet Samuel and all who came after him. 
In verse 25, he mentions the covenant God made with their fathers. That's the old covenant given at Mount Sinai through Moses. And then verse 25, he quotes the blessing of Abraham. And then in verse 26, it says, When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked, wicked ways. So Peter, he concludes this by saying, God sent him to you. Who's you? This is the Jewish people. This was the order of, the, of how the gospel went out. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He came to the Jewish people first because this was God's covenant people. And then it would go out to the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So in his sermon, it's like Peter has given us an Old Testament parade of all the major Old Testament figures and prophets and events. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the covenant at Sinai, Samuel and prophets, uh, all the prophets who came after him. All of these, he says, were pointing to the Messiah. That is Christ Jesus. So Peter, in this one sermon, he has connected all that God had been had been doing in and through Jesus and the Holy Spirit in Acts through what God had already done through the whole Old Testament narrative. So friends, this morning, the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. We believe in one God. There is no division between the two. The same God who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God who brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. The same God who gave the law at Sinai who inspired the prophets beginning with Samuel, the same God who was worshiped in the, in the temple with, with the sacrifices. This is the same God who we meet in Jesus Christ and whose spirit we see poured out on the church. Isn't that amazing? And we know that one of the main teachings of the Old Testament is that there is one God. There is one true God, creator of all things. Yes, there are other spiritual powers. There are other beings in the universe, but there is one God who the Old Testament says that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said this was the greatest commandment. And so Jesus and the apostles, they never abandoned these commandments, but they continued to teach this and to assume this. So we still only worship one God. Christianity is not three gods, but one God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are you confused at all yet? We proclaim one God. St. Augustine, that uh, famous theologian, uh, one day he was walking along the beach, actually, and he was pondering the great doctrine of the Trinity, wondering how does this all make sense? Maybe wondering how can he teach this? How can he teach a sermon on this? And he saw a little boy uh, who was taking a, a shell and filling it up with water and running back and forth on the sand. And, he's, and, he's, and he stops the little boy and he says, little, little boy, what are you doing? He says, oh, I dug this little hole here on the beach and I'm trying to put the ocean in this hole that I've just dug. And St. Augustine realized, oh, this is exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put the ocean in this tiny little hole on the beach. That's what we, when we try to fully understand God, it's impossible. He is beyond our comprehension. It's like trying to put the ocean in a tiny hole. You can't do it. You see, I actually... I think it makes a lot of sense to believe in the Trinity. You know, that it wouldn't make sense to believe in a God that we can fully understand. I mean, can an ant understand a human? <laughs> I mean, maybe a little, but not, not to the extent, not in the fullness. And if we can fully understand God, that it might not be God that we are worshiping. We cannot fully explain the Trinity 
but we can embrace it and trust it and believe and marvel at how God has revealed himself in history and to us and to the church. But friends, we can also at least come to understand, we may not be able to understand it all, but we can understand how it came to be. And that's the second point I wanna to make to you this morning, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises. So the reason that the church came to this understanding of the Trinity is because of Jesus. Jesus came teaching us about God the Father, saying that he was one with the Father, and he taught the, the apostles about the Holy Spirit as well. And then before Jesus ascended to heaven, remember, it said he taught them in the scriptures about all things concerning himself. He showed them how the whole Bible had pointed to him and his coming. And so I want you to look at a few things about what Peter says about Jesus in this sermon. It is, in fact, it is astonishing a monotheistic Jew who was to only believe in one God would say this about a man he ate with and talked with and drank with. Look at this. This is amazing. It says first, it says, God has glorified Jesus. You see, we know that God designed the universe for not for any man's glory, but for his glory. In fact, in Isaiah 42, 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. God says, I will not give my glory to anybody in all creation. All the glory is for me alone. And yet it says here is saying, God has glorified Jesus. How does that make sense? Because through Jesus, he is glorifying himself. Through Jesus, he is glorifying himself. The Father and Jesus are one. And then Peter calls Jesus God's servant. Now, this may not seem like anything significant, uh, but it actually is a term with a lot of loaded meaning. Uh, because the servant of the Lord, the servant of Yahweh, was someone who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, mainly through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and this was the, one of the most common understandings of Jesus uh, that the apostles had. In Isaiah 52, God says through Isaiah, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, this promised servant, this promised servant of Yahweh was one who was going to come, who would take upon the sins and iniquities of all the people and somehow be pierced for our sins. Can you see how the apostles came to the conclusion that this was foretold through the prophets? And then Peter continues in verse 13 and 14. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Wow, he's really not letting, letting them off the hook here. And then it says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Peter calls a man the holy and righteous one. Who else is holy and righteous but God alone? This is what Peter proclaimed. And then Peter, in verse 15, he's going to raise this to a near climax. And he says, you killed the author of life. Who else is the author of life? God alone. God alone is the creator and author of life. And Peter says, by the way, you killed the author of life. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer, 
As Paul said, remember in Colossians 1, all things have been created through him and for him. All the trees, all the skies, all the stuff you're looking at right now was created through Jesus Christ. And it exists for his glory. Peter says, we are witnesses of this. In verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. He says it's through the name of Jesus that authority is given for healing. It's a sign of his, di his divinity. But wait, friends, there's more. Verse 20, Jesus is called the Messiah. This is the anointed king promised by God to restore the people. And verse 22, he is identified as the prophet. This is someone that Moses prophesied would come. And, if that, and it says anyone who does not listen to him will experience being cut off from the people, the judgment of God. And in verse 25, it says, he is the seed or the offspring of Abraham, the one that God promised to bring blessings to the whole nations. This is why the gospel is going out now. And then it concludes in verse 26, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So let me just summarize. Notice how amazing this is. Jesus is said to be glorified by God, the servant promised by Isaiah, who would bear the people's sins, the holy and righteous one, the author of life itself, the name which can bring healing, the Messiah, the prophet Moses predicted who would come, the offspring of Abraham who would bring God's blessing to the world. And God has sent him to bless us by turning each of us from our wicked ways. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you believe in his name? And can you see how very early on the church began to worship Jesus along with the Father. Because in Jesus, they saw God at work, God incarnate. And so you might wonder, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit in this passage? Now, in this passage and in scripture in general, often the, the Holy Spirit's divine nature is, is less explicit, shall we say. But we can see that it is implied from everything that scripture teaches. So this is my, my last point for us this morning. The Holy Spirit is how, is how we experience God's promises, God's fulfilled promises. The Holy Spirit is how we experience God's fulfilled promises. So last week we saw how God had promised through the prophets that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people, men and women, young and old, it's for everybody. And it's by the Spirit we experience the blessings and promises of God. And we see this in the very beginning of, of chapter 3, as Peter and John find a new power for healing in the name of Jesus. And then in verse 19 in the sermon, Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, this times of refreshing is very interesting. It's, it's a word, it's a words that mean experience from relief or trouble. They can be translated as breathing space, relaxation, relief. It's kind of like this gentle breeze you might be feeling right now coming over you, or like drinking a glass of, of cold water on a hot day. This times of refreshing can come uh, from the Lord. And when we turn to God, we can experience the refreshment that comes through the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the, all the fruits of the Spirit that the Spirit produces within us. 
That's how we experience the times of refreshing from the Lord. And in verse 21, Peter says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. And remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how Jesus is behind the curtain of heaven. If Jesus is in heaven, located at the right hand of the Father, how do we experience God? How do we experience Jesus? How do we become one with him? How do we pray to him? How do we hear from him? The answer is, it's by the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is the one who communicates to us the divine presence of the Father and the Son. And this is what Jesus taught. Now hang with me, because it can get a little convoluted. It doesn't make sense logically to our minds. But listen to what Jesus says here in John 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I, I'm not going to leave you, but I'm sending you the Spirit. And he says, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So Jesus, let me try to summarize what Jesus is saying. Saying the Father and the Son want to make a home with us. They want to dwell with us. They want to be one with us. And how is that going to happen? Jesus is going to ask the Father, and he's going to send the Spirit. The Spirit will dwell, and that is how we will be one with him, experience his presence, hear his voice, experience his peace, experience refreshing from the Lord. It's through the Spirit. So friends, you may not come from a Pentecostal background. You may not come from a charismatic background. But friends, if you're not comfortable with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have a very comfortable experience with God because the Holy Spirit is, is the way. He is the way that we experience God. He's the only way we experience with God because the Father and Son are in heaven and he sends the Spirit so that we're one with him. So you better get comfortable with the Holy Spirit. You better get comfortable with listening to the Holy Spirit because he is the one who mediates the presence of God. Jesus taught us that's, that's how it works. We may not understand it, but that's how it is. So friends, what do we learn about the Trinity? God the Father has fulfilled his promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything he has promised. And the Holy Spirit is how we experience those promises of God. And so we see the distinction between the three, yet we know and worship one God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they always exist as one and work together as one. Now, I just want to close with a, a couple of quotes from some early church fathers who really wrestled with this doctrine. Gregory of Nyssa says, everything God does has its origin from the Father and proceeds through the Son and is perfected in the Holy Spirit. They all work together as one. And one more, Gregory of Nancianzus says, when I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. So friends, as one torch, as one light, as one flame, you will see God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at work all through the book of Acts and you will see him at work in our lives today. The Father, 
drawing all people to himself. Jesus guiding the church as her head and the Holy Spirit empowering ordinary people to do extraordinary things that are not possible by human strength. And the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit is fulfilling his promises among us and in us and through us today. And friends, this matters. This matters because we were created to be God's image bearers, right? Isn't that what it says in Genesis 1? We're made in God's image. We are made in the image of the triune God who in himself is a self-giving, loving community of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so that tells me we are made for love. We are made to be indwelled by this love. We are made to share this love in community and to share this love with the whole world, to fill the world with the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So friend, may, friends, may the Lord help us to love as we have been loved until one day we are fully united with the God who loves us totally and completely. And with all our brothers and sisters, we will be one with him forever and ever. Amen.